This is an ABC podcast. Good morning. This is the Friday Sports Edition of Pacific Beat on ABC Radio Australia. Today on the show, women's soccer scores a big win as the first ever OFC Women's Champions League tournament kicks off in Papua New Guinea. Oceania wants uh, equality, that whatever competition the men take part in, the women should also. It's going to be rather encouraging to the girls to aspire to, to something at this level. Meanwhile in women's rugby, Fijiana and Manusina Samoa book their place at a new international 15s tournament. It's opened the door for just so much more participation for our young ladies across the region. And we chat to an American football scout who is scouring the Asia-Pacific to find the next Jordan Mailata. He's put the spotlight on the South Pacific. No American football background. He's gone through the, the pathway program and he's where he's at we'll because find, of what he's committed to and what he's done. We'll find out just where he's looking and more today on the show. I'm Kyle Evans. So glad to have your company. But first, soccer player Brian Kaltek made history earlier this season by becoming the first Vanuatu-born footballer to debut in the A-League, and this Saturday, he'll be the first to play in a grand final. His club, the Central Coast Mariners, will look to claim their first title in over a decade when they face Melbourne City in Sydney. They surged into the decider after winning a two-legged semi-final over Adelaide United. A win will not only cap off a fairy tale finish for the club, but for Caltech himself, who just this week was named into the Professional Footballers Australia Team of the Season. They've waited a decade for this, but the Mariners surely now are heading to the grand final. That was the moment the Central Coast Mariners cemented a spot in the A-League Grand Final. It's first in 10 years. Their rise back to prominence has been slow. And it's been helped in no small part by Vanuatu's Brian Keltek, who made his debut for the club this year. I'm pretty excited. Yeah, excited and confident for, for the grand final. To be honest, it's been a long journey in getting to this club. I, I don't think everything would turn out like this, you know. But it is, honestly, it, I would say it's just crazy, you know. At 29, Keltek was old for a first-year player. He was also the first Vanuatu-born footballer to make it professionally in Australia's premier competition. But he never doubted he belonged. Right from the start, to be honest. Right from the start, when, when I come in here for, for a trial, and I walk into the, this changing room and I, I feel something, you know? You know when you, you, you walk into something and you feel like, yeah, I belong, I belong in this team, I belong here? That's, that's how I feel right from the start, right from when, when I came in for, for a trial. I really feel comfortable out in the field as well with with um with coaching staff, uh, with the with the team, with the team the way we played. Um, I just yeah chilling well with the boys. It just doesn't take me that long. Caltech and the Mariners will be the underdogs when they face defending champion Melbourne City in Sydney on Saturday. As the club centre back, Caltech will be tasked with closing down City's attack, which is led by the competition's top goalscorer Jamie McLaren. Melbourne City, they're a good side, you know. They have uh, good players, they have experienced players that they experience in this type of uh, situation, this type of uh, games, big games. So we, to be honest, we don't change anything. We're just going to focus on ourselves. They beat us our first game when we when we meet up in Amy Park and then uh, the second game was in Central Coast when we draw. And then, yeah, this is the last game, grand final. We, we're going to go there like, a, like underdogs, you know, because... 
we know that they they got everything to win this. A crowd of up to 50,000 are expected to attend the match in Sydney's West, but they won't be the only ones watching. General Secretary of the Vanuatu Football Federation, Albert Monorotto, says the match will be broadcast to Vanuatu as well. This has been followed almost on a daily basis, you know, from the social media and also in print media. So it's been a great year in, in, in more than one way, you know, apart from last year after the COVID and everything was pretty down in, in, in the country. You know, I think the major boost was when we had the Melanesian Prime Minister's Cup, which was really a highlight for the country. We went to the finals. The development team went to the finals with Papua New Guinea. But and then we had two devastating cyclones. So I think Brian Kaldak doing well. And also for fear to host the current uh, OFG Champions League has impacted the you know, just the well-being and the, the, the vibrance in, in, in people's life. So I think, generally speaking, it's been a good year up to now. And especially with Brian up there, it's, 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 uh, I think the country is very proud of him. And the community is very proud of him also. And it's, it's, a, it's a big boost for us to have one of our players. Probably the, it's a, the first player, professional player we've overseas. So this is a, a historical thing for, for the country. The grand final appearance comes after Vanuatu welcomed the Central Coast Mariners to the country earlier in the season. Caltech used the visit to explore ways to make it easier for Pacific Islanders to chase football opportunities in Australia and New Zealand. He says he wants to inspire kids back home. One of the reasons why I keep going is I want to inspire the kids back home, not just Vanuatu, but in the Pacific, and, and keep giving them hope you know, that they can still make it in this far. And me making this final, that would be that be one of the reasons why and I hope that they will they will look look up to me and then they would wanna be like that in the future. In terms of his own journey, the twenty nine year old says he wouldn't change a thing. I feel like twenty twenty two to be honest. And then uh, you know sometimes when you like you realise I'm twenty nine <laughs> but I don't I don't regret anything. I know that anything everything happens for a reason and I don't regret it. Inspirational stuff. That was Brian ending that report from myself. And staying on, Brian, no one will be willing him to victory in the A-League Grand Final more than his former colleagues at Auckland City FC. The Vanuatu skipper played almost 50 games for the New Zealand club, and he captained the side before he secured that precious professional contract with the Central Coast. In a moment, we'll hear from ex-teammate Ryan DeVries, but first, here's, here's Albert Riera, who played with and then coached Brian Kaltak at Auckland. We're very happy, very proud. We were very excited to see how Brian Kaltik is doing well in the A-League. To the whole Auckland City family, it's not a surprise. We've known him for many years. He's been playing his brand of football at Auckland City, growing as a player, and uh, we knew how, how extraordinary and the qualities and talent that he's got. We've been always very surprised that no one really paid attention to it before because he's very well prepared. He's very mature. He's 28 years old. He's just got the first professional contract, and uh, I can guarantee you that he's going to do a lot of good things in football. We used to talk a lot. Uh, he would sometimes, you know, believe that his time to become professional was up. But um, actually, I'm one of those that become professional when I was 29 years old. So I knew in this part of the world, you know, it's never too late. And I'm very glad, you know, because he's a good friend of mine to see him doing well and, and leading the back four of Central Corps with a 
youngest team in the A-League. And I wish him all the best for the final. Hopefully he can make us all proud. Do you happen to know if there have been any scouts out and about during the Champions League looking for the next Brian Kaltak? I mean, could it make that much of a difference in drawing attention to players from New Zealand and the islands? Well, you know, it's uh, actually the, it's a lot of people in the islands that are, are very good, very talented. We sometimes don't really pay attention too much and uh, to this part of the world, to Oceania. And I can guarantee you that we've been playing against teams in the islands that have very good players. Raw talent that uh, with a bit of coaching, with the right environment, I, I believe they could thrive a lot. And Brian Kaltik is one of those examples. Not just him, but Roy Krishna, David Brown, Mika Alafa. We have different examples of it that they did very good things. Sometimes it's just to, you know, be in the right place in the right time. And I can guarantee you that semi-finals prove that. I believe we play against a team full of talent, very well organized, with few very interesting players. So, um, look, in Vanuatu, they're doing it very well in football. So hopefully it's not the last Brian Kaltek that we see because I believe there's a lot of young lads in here very keen and ready to go and do the next step up. The A-League Grand Final here in Australia your former teammate the Vanuatu captain Brian Kaltak will be taking part in that. He's really made his mark hasn't he when he, he finally got the chance at the professional level? Oh yes 100% we've been watching him since he's moved to Central Coast and it's been an absolute joy to see him perform. It wasn't much of a surprise to us as it was probably to maybe the rest of the A-League, but we've seen quality from Brian for years. His first year is, is incredible. So, I mean, the boys are definitely backing him and definitely be watching that game. So, all the best to Brian and the boys at Central Coast. So, it's going to be a good game. And do you think perhaps it's a signal that A-League clubs should pay more attention to what's going on in, in New Zealand and, and the rest of the Pacific? Because first, it was Roy Krishna and, and now Brian Kaltak, two guys from the islands who, who've demonstrated what island players can do, given the chance. Yes, 100%. 100% there's abundance of talent here and it just takes the, the right people to pay attention and you know I mean like you mentioned Roy Krishna and Brian Kaltak I mean they both come from the islands they've been through with, with Auckland City and, and they've lit up the A-League there's gems here they just need to be discovered Brian Kaltak's former teammate at Auckland City Ryan DeVries and before him we heard from Albert Riera who played with Brian and coached him at the New Zealand club and now we're talking to Richard Hewitt. On to women's soccer now, where five teams are competing in the first ever OFC Women's Champion League tournament in Papua New Guinea, which kicked off yesterday. It's hoped the tournament will be a big boost for the development of the women's game across the region and inspire more females of all ages to take up the sport. Talia Oletia it's a tournament the aimed story. at raising the profile of women's football in Oceania, both on and off the field. The inaugural OFC Women's Champions League tournament will see the best club sides in Oceania face off against each other over nine days. The teams are Hakari United from PNG, Lambasa FC from Fiji, Koloale FC from Solomon Islands, Kiwi FC from Samoa and AS Academy Feminine from New Caledonia. Head coach of Koloale FC, Crystal Bacalo, says this comp is the first of its kind for women's football in the region. We feel very excited to come here to this historic event. Everyone are looking forward for this um, tournament. So, yeah, um, I've looked through the other teams. We need to, you know, um, take each game at a time. Uh, With regards to preparation, uh, we've been prepared very well. Head coach of Fiji's Lambasa FC, Arthur Simmons, says it's great to see the champions women's teams on par with the men. 
oh, it's rather overwhelming to be at this level. It was always uh, men's competitions that were being held, like the Oceania men's one, the one just finished in uh, Vanuatu. So now Oceania wants uh, equality, that whatever competitions the men take part in, the women should also. It's going to be rather encouraging to the girls to aspire to, to something at this level. Just like the men's comp, this tournament is expected to provide a pathway for an OFC club to represent the region at a FIFA's Women's Club World Cup in 2025. And while this is a club competition, there's still a lot of national pride on the line. This is, uh, to me, it's very similar to how national teams would prepare and, and come into competitions, the environment. Uh, meeting new friends, so it's rather significant for women's football in Oceania. Lambasa FC have dominated the Digicel Women's Super League with an unbeaten record, and they're hoping that success will continue on the international scene. Koloale FC will be bolstered by national players, who will also line up for the Solomons at the Pacific Games later this year. Currently, I have uh, five national players in the team, and I think that they are the ones that uh, you look out for. Um, Eileen Peggy, the captain, she's really good. Um, Ross Biru, Lisa Solo, Imelda Tehakeni, a utility player, uh, Miss Messaline Saipio. The tournament was originally due to take place with six teams, with a two pools of three format. But after the early front runners Aotearoa New Zealand's Eastern Suburbs AFC pulled out, citing security concerns, cost issues and insufficient prep time, the format of the tournament changed to round robin, consisting of four games and a bye for each team. With more games to play, Crystal Bacalo says recovery will be crucial for her players. Having a good recovery after each game is very important. And um, in terms of recovery after the game, our physio and our team, our management team will take care of that. Um, I can use them for like um, 50 or 60 or 80 minutes in the field, but I, I have to make sure they have a good recovery after that. All our preparation was uh, revolving around uh, these three games. Now it's changed to round robin. Uh, how much is going to affect us? Uh, not sure, but we'll find out as we go. Because the girls, they also need time for rest and recovery. I don't think it's going to just affect us alone. It will affect all the teams. But uh, judging from the, the session inside there, all the teams have been prepared, preparing for a long time. We live on two different islands, so we really haven't prepared that well. Excuses aside, we'll just go out and do the best that we can. Regardless of the end result, one thing is for certain. The competition will help lift the image of women's football across the region, especially in countries where rugby codes, netball and volleyball dominate women's sport. It's very hard to get girls to play soccer in in Fiji, even where I I come from. It's very hard. So that's why you can see that half of our squad lives on the other island. Uh, Most of them, they play rugby and... uh, To encourage them to come and play soccer is just, they just don't want to have anything to do with soccer. They'd rather play netball, volleyball and rugby. So we hope that in some way our being here in this tournament will encourage young girls to put the oval ball aside and take up the the round ball. In Solomon Islands, Koloale coach Crystal Bacalo says they're already seeing positive signs with more players signing up. Yes, so having heard of this um, first ever uh, Women's uh, Champions League. With the new registration for the league this year, we we've received a lot of uh, you know new players, new new girls, new, new young women uh, wanted to come out and play. So um, with the introduction of the Women's uh, Champions League around the region, I know it uh, will help motivate the young women and girls, 
um, to come out and, and, and play. So uh, for us, uh, it really increased the participation of uh, women and girls to come out and really play football. Great stuff. That was Crystal Bacalo, head coach of Kolo Ale FC, ending that report from Talia Olatia. And Fiji champions Lombasa FC kicked things off yesterday with an impressive 6-0 win over Kiwi FC. Sophie Dialowai claiming her place in history as the tournament's first ever goal scorer. Meanwhile, a goal in extra time lifted New Caledonia's AS Academy Feminine to a 2-1 victory over Hakati United. Pacific Beat. Well, Fijiana and Manusina Samoa have continued their dominant form at the Oceania Women's Rugby Championship on the Gold Coast, going undefeated to set up a winner-takes-all final against each other on Sunday. Their big wins over Tonga and PNG during the week secured both of them a place at the newly formed WXV International Women's 15 competition later this year. But as for what tier they'll play in, Oceania Women's Rugby Tournament Manager Wayne Schuster says it will depend on Sunday's match. Based on form, based on, on games for Super W season and playing the Wallaroos only a couple, couple of weeks ago, you'll have to, to give her the favourites tag to Fijiana. But Manusina's you know, showing a bit of grit. Um, obviously, with no, they've had a couple of warm-up games before with Tonga. A back in New Zealand, so it'll be an interesting match. Now, obviously, uh, the big prize is, is entry into a new international women's 15 competition. Both those teams we just mentioned will go in, but as for what tier they will play in, will be dependent on the result. Can you talk a little bit about what that competition is going to look like and, and what tier those two teams will fall into? Exciting times for women's rugby, first and foremost, you know, with this WXV. Two and WXV three, these teams will be vying for. It's just to open the door for just so much more participation for our young ladies across the region. The WXV two obviously will feature six teams, two teams from Europe, the fourth place teams from the cross regional Japan, USA, Canada, New Zealand, Australia fixture, and the team from Oceania. Now, depending on the outcomes of uh, this weekend's championship, obviously it could be either Fiji or Samoa that pops into that. WXV2, which we played in Cape Town, South Africa. And then WXV3, that's also made up of six teams, two from Europe, one from Asia, and of course, one from Oceania and Africa. Location to be um, determined, confirmed. And I guess the host will be confirmed once the teams um, have been um, finalised for that WXV. So very exciting times. If you've got to think about it, it was only five years ago, our regional teams, especially in the Pacific, were only playing a handful of fixtures over a course of two or three years. Now, we're looking at the barrel of these teams potentially playing upwards to five to six international fixtures uh, in one year, which is you know, an amazing outcome for in, in terms of boosting women's rugby in this region. Yeah, I guess more opportunities for the women to play at an international level and, and probably more inspiration for them to actually play for their country of origin as well, oh, I imagine. Absolutely. It's it's all aspirational based and, you know, the incentives are there now to represent their countries and the sport they love on par with the men's fixtures. So that's an amazing outcome. Now, the Oceana champs in some ways are also a bit of an audition for the Oceana Women's Combine, which will be held in August, potentially a pathway to, to play Super and things like that. Has that, along with this new 15s competition, has that served as real extra motivation on the field for the players at this tournament? Absolutely. You're not only contesting as a nation for each of these teams' opposition in WXV, but it also provides a platform for some of these players to, you know, realise their aspirations to be a a professional player. 
And that combine obviously provides that that important pathway for, for some of these gills across all these teams. And, you know, we're looking at this championship only growing further uh, with the likes of other countries that Cook Islands, Solomon Islands, who, who, who are building their 15s programs. And hopefully we'll get to see some of these girls, talented girls from other parts of the Pacific, join the Oceania Women's Championship and be part of that pathway to realising their dreams to play. Um, you know, in these uh, professional competitions, semi-professional competitions. And just lastly, Wayne, we actually had the Manasina Samoa coach, Ramsey Tomikino, on the show last week and was talking mm. about potential plans to, to maybe one day get a, a Samoan team or a Moana Pacifica team into the Super W competition. Yeah. Do you think a, a good performance from them, uh, you know, might help strengthen that, that ambition? Oh, absolutely. Um, you only have to, you know, look at what's the Fijiana Jewel and what they've achieved in their short span, you know, in, in two years there in, the, in, in Super W. And, you know, I mean, the aspiration that's created, you know, for all the girls, the young girls in Fiji to have uh, a Samoan, possibly a Samoan or a Tongan combined team or, you know, individual teams in uh, such a competition setup will be just further boost the standards of uh, of these teams uh, at that level and you know would lead on to the 2025 rugby world uh, rugby world cup tournament manager wayne schuster speaking to me there Let's switch to men's rugby now, where the, F- the Fijian Drua will need some cards to fall their way this weekend in the final round of the Super Rugby season. But finals aren't out of the question. They're currently sitting in 10th place with five wins and eight losses and must beat the Reds in Suva on Saturday. However, they also want the Highlanders, Force and Rebels to lose. That would get them through, but here's where it gets complicated. If they beat the Reds and the Force and Rebels win, they could find themselves in a three-way tie for 7th or 8th. Then it would simply come down to metrics. The Andrew would hold the edge on the Rebels on win count. However, the Force have the advantage on point differential. Confused? Don't worry, I am too. So let's simplify it. The Andrew want to beat the Reds by a lot. They want to score at least three tries to get a bonus point to give themselves the best chance. And hey, they just might. They've proven pretty good at home so far this season, but it's going to be tough because according to assistant coach Brad Harris, the Reds are going to have a lot to play for, given that it might be Brad Scott's last ever game as coach. You know, what he, what he achieved throughout his playing days was phenomenal and he's done a great job at the Reds. He came in at a time when, you know, they were, they were in a bit of a transition phase and he's brought a heap of young kids through and, and done a great job. So, you know, they're not going to lack motivation they know that they need to come over here and get a win to make the top eight, so they won't they won't be lacking any motivation. I'm sure that in the back of their minds is the fact that if they don't get the job done, that will be the, the you know potentially the end of, of Brad's career coaching there. So we just got to make sure we start fast and match that enthusiasm and power uh, during that first 15, 20 minutes of the game. And Drew assistant Brad Harris speaking there. ABC Radio Australia brings you great sporting rivalry with State of Origin. Picked up beautifully off the bounce by Cobo. Puts in a stat kick. Wow, what a try! This year promises to be a cracking series. Flicks up to this go. Big, big, big. The human pinball over. State of Origin. Wednesday, 7pm PNG time on ABC Radio Australia. Your home of rugby league in the Pacific. Loving rugby league in 2023. 
It's Friday morning and you're listening to the sports edition of Pacific Beat. I'm Kyle Evans filling in for Richard Hewitt. We just spoke about the Fiji and Drewers finals chances, but I wanted to touch on Rugby League quickly where the PNG Hunters could find their finals hopes all but dashed unless they can turn things around in Port Moresby this weekend. They'll face the Tweed Seagulls on Saturday where they'll hope to break a three-game losing streak. Meanwhile, on the Ron Massey Cup, the Kaivete Silk Tails will look to claim a second straight win against the Canterbury-Bankstown Bulldogs. Stay tuned because we have plenty more to come on the Friday sports edition of Pacific Beat. Coming up, we'll hear about the NFL's plan to recruit more players from the Asia-Pacific region. We'll also hear from a North Queensland Rugby Union club who's replenishing its talent pool with Pacific seasonal workers. You're listening to Pacific Beat on ABC Radio Australia. Well, you might remember Australian Samoan Jordan Mailata proved American football stardom wasn't out of reach for Pacific for a Pacific-born player with a rugby league background. Right now, there are as many as 70 Polynesian players on team rosters in the American National Football League. But nevertheless, the NFL is now making moves to ensure that talent from this side of the world, which may have been missed in the past, no longer slips through the cracks. My name is Jason Vaca. I'm the NFL IPP scouting consultant for the Asia-Pacific region. So my region covers Australia, New Zealand, Pacific Islands, Japan, and China. It's really interesting stuff. The NFL, it's grown leaps and bounds in this part of the world in recent years. It's obviously quite a patch you've got to cover. Where specifically within those countries do you look for talent? Nowhere specifically. Obviously, Australia and New Zealand, there's a big talent of Athletes out there, Auckland, Wellington, Australia, there's Melbourne, there's Sydney, obviously in the Brisbane area. So when it comes to the pinpointing in actual place, it's it's everywhere. It's everywhere in the islands. It's everywhere in the South Pacific. Do you sort of look within football clubs, within gyms, whereabouts? Do you look to uncover gems and stuff? Everywhere, really. Yes, local clubs, NRL, Super 15, basketball, as long as you're athletic. So part of the criteria is we're looking for athletes that are big. And this has come about because of Jordan Mailata. Jordan Mailata is the reason why they're looking out in this area. He was the, as you say, the unicorn when it comes to American football. So a lot of big athletes out there, 6'4 and up, scattered all over the place, especially in the Pacific Islands, Australia, New Zealand. And that's part of the criteria that I'm looking for. Athletic, tall, lean, playing some sort of activity. It's not just rugby or rugby league. It could be basketball. I'm looking at guys that do CrossFit. I'm looking at guys that play volleyball. So it doesn't really matter which sport you play. I suppose a lot of the skills that it requires to be successful at that sport, they can be pretty transferable from sport to sport, can't they? Definitely transferable. It's an easy transition from rugby, especially rugby in the league, to to American football, depending on the position you play. So the way I reference it when I'm talking to players or athletes or anyone that's interested, it's all about technique in the game, as you know. And I reference it back to tight head prop and the Lucy. Whoever's got the best technique, no matter how big and how strong that person is, the one with the best technique will win on the day, especially in Mm. that scrum. That's how I reference it to the athletes. And when they get that sort of concept, they're like, okay, yeah, so it's just technique. So you referenced Jordan Mailata before and, and the success that he's having within the NFL. Obviously, he was undiscovered for such a long time playing <laughs> playing rugby league. Up until him, had the NFL, I guess, neglected uh, this, this part of the world for, for a number of years? 
I think what it, what Jordan has done is heighten our area. He's put the spotlight on the South Pacific. No American football background. He's gone through the, the pathway program and he's where he's at because of what he's committed to and what he's done. And I guess one of the great things about him, yeah, it is an example of, of Pacific Islanders making it big and, and becoming household names. I mean, in your professional opinion, how much untapped talent within the Pacific is out there? There's a lot. There's a lot untapped talent out there. It's getting that awareness out to them that there's other opportunities besides the usual rugby league and rugby or volleyball or basketball. There's another outlet. There's another opportunity out there. Now, I understand you're in the midst of a bit of a recruitment drive at the moment. Will you compile a list of, say, 100 names and take that back to the NFL virtually and say, look, these are guys that we think have some talent. Let's bring them over and give them a trial. Is that sort of how it works? Correct. That's how it works. And I guess out of that list of, say, 100 players you might select, how many of them might actually make it onto an NFL roster or even NFL prospect list? I'll talk about the last recruitment that just finished, actually. I had eight recruitment players from Australia, New Zealand, and one from Japan. So they were successful. We went over to London. They went through a combine testing. So the combine testing is obviously American football-based, which is the 40-yard, the bench press, the vertical broad jump, and then positional agility drills that the athletes go through. From there, we, we went through a phase two, and then we invited... 13, back to a 10-week camp in the States, which was held in uh, IMG Academy in Tampa. So the athletes are there for 10 weeks. That's where they get their coaching into their specific positions. From there, there's another process too where they get shortlisted down to at least four. And four of those athletes are allocated to an NFL roster. So out of my recruiting class of eight athletes from the South Pacific, one went through. That's Patrick Murta. So he was allocated to the Detroit Lions, and that's a success. One athlete in the South Pacific out of eight, that's like 10% from a recruiting class. And when you think about it, in every sport, there's only a, a real small amount of, or percentage that goes through to the highest level. And it just shows to everybody, look, if you set your goals and, and commit fully, opportunities are there. Patrick Murtagh, former Gold Coast Suns player, wasn't he, in the Australian Football League? Is that, is that the same guy? Yeah, that's the, that's the one. <laughs> and, you know, for him, you know, I was happy because he's of Papua New Guinea descent. You know, all kudos to him. He, he put his foot forward, just like what Jordan did, you know, 110% committed. No, they're great stories. And, and what about this year's uh, recruitment drive? Are there any Pacific prospects in particular, both known or unknown, guys similar to Patrick that you have your eye on? I can't say. I have to keep that confidential. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess from the class you've compiled together this year, are you happy with the names that you've put together? Definitely. It's working on what you worked before. So you're only as good as your last play, so to speak, when you're playing any sport. So for me, Patrick's my benchmark. I've got to do my recruiting class towards that same athletic ability as Pat. So they're either going to be better or at the same same height as him. And I suppose just last question, it's such an interesting job you have. It's, it's It both sounds fun, but at the same time, it sounds very important. You know, what would you like, I guess, your legacy to be after, say, five, ten years? I think with me, with my legacy, it's just been out there to support our people because I'm of Pacific Island descent. I'm from the Cook Islands. And it's just getting out there and letting them know that there's other opportunities out there. You can succeed only if you fully commit to the program. It's about just going out there and putting your best foot forward, 
and going for something that you believe in. And you yourself, you have a, I imagine you have some sort of um, gridiron background? Yes. So I played American football back in New Zealand and then went on to play a few seasons of arena football in the States. So that's where my journey started. From there, I ended up being an arena football consultant and liaised with players in New Zealand and Australia and got them into the Arena Football League back, this is like back in 2007. This is how far we're going. And from there, I even got a, a kid from, from Melbourne into the Arena Football League, Heath Decker. He's out there in Melbourne. What's going on, Heath? So he went through. From there, just a roll-on effect. After the Arena Football scouting, I got into the collegiate scouting. So I was able to place athletes from home, into collegiate programs and successfully going on to D1 programs, getting a full ride scholarship. And then that's how I was highlighted for this role. That was Jason Varker, the NFL's international pathway program scouting consultant for the Asia Pacific region, for the Asia Pacific region, sorry, speaking to me a short time ago. Grassroots Rugby Union in Australia often struggles to attract new players to the game, but one North Queensland club celebrating their 40th anniversary may have found an answer to that problem. In 2021, Moorumbah Bulls Rugby Club failed to get a team onto the paddock due to a player shortage. And when they did finally fill the team in 2022, they finished last in the Mackay Rugby Union competition. But now, in 2023, as they approach the halfway mark of the season, they're equal first on the ladder, thanks in no small measure to the participation of five new Fijian players who came to Australia to work under the Labor Mobility Scheme. Agnes, tu- Agnes Tupo has been speaking to team manager Matthew Haggett to find Find out more about the Moorumbah story. Coming out of COVID, we struggled to get enough players to field a team. So we skipped a year. There was about um, six players that uh, travelled 100 kilometres to a neighbouring town to join their rugby team, Claremont. So that kept a little bit of rugby passion alive in Moorumbah. And then last year, we re-entered the comp. We went across to the coastal competition of Mackay. Finished last. We only had two wins for the season. Uh, this year, uh, we're, we're progressing really well. We're, we're one game away from the halfway mark. We're equal top of the table. As yourself as a player, and then you say you're also the uh, team manager? Yeah, that's correct, Maggie. To see where your stats were before to now, I suppose, doing quite well, what, what do you believe that is the reason as to why you guys have done so well now? There's a lot of reasons. Um, we've, we've recruited really well on and off the field. We've, we've got our back house in order. So things are going well. But certainly one of the key parts of the puzzle is uh, we've managed to recruit uh, five Fijian boys from a neighbouring abattoir and, uh, and they've joined our team this year. Were they very open to, to you guys recruiting them onto the team? Oh, they were. They certainly were. They've been very polite and respectful from day one. Um, they just wanted to, to be involved. There, there was a little issue uh, amongst the committee with fees. We need all our players to be insured before they play, so that it does happen. You know, they're, they're covered for something. You know, when they turned up, um, they were coming here for work. The club paid for their initial sign-up fees, um, and, and they've been paying us back on a fortnightly plan, which has been great. Uh, were these young men already rugby players in their own right? And was this something that they would have thought of to do while they were here, while they were working? Yeah, yeah, certainly. Um, all the 
the Fijians that have joined us have had some level of rugby experience um, in in the past. It's it's varied, you know. Two or three of them that have played, uh, you know, would would fit right into um, maybe not Super Rugby clubs, certainly uh, Premier Grade rugby teams in in Brisbane or Sydney. I don't think they came here expecting to play rugby, but they were very happy when they found out about us and when we found them. And yeah, they're, they're fitting right in. Have you guys become just like I suppose a new family for them? Yeah, that, that's certainly part of the culture we've we've tried to embrace, and we welcome them in. You know, in the early days, they, they turned up and we've shared some carver after the game, and and we're waiting. We're hoping for our next home game because the problem that they've got is even though they're they're in the Morumbah district, they're still. Um, they're still 60 kilometres outside of Moranbar, so they've got a lot of travel before and after games uh, and training. For a round trip for even away matches, how do they handle that? Uh, well, they're, they're very lucky. Their employer, when they knew they were bringing these, the, the Pacific Islanders uh, to Sondela, they, they had the foresight to go out and purchase, I think it's a 15 or a 16-seater bus. They've got a couple of... Uh, employees that are that are licensed to drive that bus. That's how they come in, and and some of the non-rugby players um, will either come in to watch training uh, and games, definitely, um, or, or just go to town and do some shopping while they can. They've added the the PG and Blair to our our team, which is what we've been been looking for. And the good news is that they're they're on a four-year visa scheme. So whilst we we don't say no to any player, um, whether they're Fijian or Australian or, or from anywhere. Mm. Um, you know, we'd like to build a club, and so it's very difficult when people come one year and go on the next. So the, the fact that, you know, they were here for uh, a planned four years, um, that was that was really reassuring for us mm. and, uh, and something we can build around. How has the response been from the community, though, Matthew? Yeah, look, they're fitting in quite well. Uh, so sometimes they wouldn't be, you know, people wouldn't necessarily know that they're, they're Moranbar Bulls rugby players. But even as recently on May Day, um, May Day is a very big day in Moranbah. The unions are very strong and they uh, they have what they call minors games, which involve tug-of-wars and, uh, and the Fijians entered a, a, a tug-of-war team. Moving forward, what are you guys looking forward to? How, have there been big talks about uh, how you're going to win? <laughs> Uh, well, well, we're always planning on how we're going to win. The, the training sessions have certainly stepped up this year and it seems like the the more we do, the more we expect. So, um, yeah, and the Fijians are a good example of that because they do have to travel, you know, further than most of our players to get to training. Um, their attendance has been really high, which is which is good. So they're, they're setting a standard that, that we're trying to step up to. That was Matthew Huggett, team manager for the Murrumbah Bulls Rugby Club, and he was talking to Agnes Topu. On to cricket now, where there is a new man at the helm in Vanuatu with Chris Laffin appointed as high-performance manager and national head coach. The Australian has a background in physical education, having taught in schools in Melbourne and in London. And as a coach, he's worked his way up on the club scene in Melbourne, and for the last six years, he's been in charge at Craigieburn in the city's northern suburbs. But now, by his own admission, he's taking a big leap into the world of international associate cricket. Oh, absolutely. I think that's going to be a part of the learning curve for me, um, for sure. I mean, 
the exciting prospect through the interview process was getting a better understanding of what the role entailed through the, the split of the, the national coach and high performance management. So it, it was really exciting to, to see an opportunity for my coaching to grow um, and, and obviously be a considerable stepper um, and, and to work with you know, full-time athletes uh, as, as opposed to leisure-based cricketers. Um, but at the same time, in terms of the, the development of the sport in Vanuatu and um, having a look in, at the direction of the programs and, and the way that the sport is, is driven um, amongst community groups and, and amongst domestic cricket is, is something that really excites me to get my hands on. And, you know, hopefully I can be a part of the process that drives that forward. Cricket Vanuatu has seen few head coaches come and go in the last two or three years for, for various reasons. Do, do you, yeah. at this stage, see yourself being involved in this for the long term if things go well? Oh, absolutely. I think that was part of the uh, attraction to the two, I guess. Um, and I'd like to think that that was the attraction of myself, that I that I probably offered something that was a little bit more of you know, some longevity in the role um, and an opportunity to, to sustain something. I'm really excited by you know, not not just the opportunity to, to coach and, and to impact on field, but also to manipulate and, and set things up off field as well and to be able to, to continue to grow things. I mean, I certainly don't see it as a as a stepping stone. I see it as a, as a massive opportunity really to, you know, embed myself in something that's extremely culturally different to something that I would have dealt with before, but at the same time, a really good opportunity for me to broaden my horizon and to really, I, I guess, um, sink my teeth into a whole heap of things together. First major task is is not so very far away for you. Towards the end of July, uh, the senior men's team travel to Papua New Guinea to play PNG, Japan and the Philippines in a World Cup qualifying tournament. That's pretty much a baptism of fire, I would have thought, in associate cricket. Isn't it? It's, um, yeah, certainly been a whirlwind just going through the process, let alone knowing that that was going to be the first um, box to tick off, so to speak. I had a fantastic opportunity a couple of weeks ago to be in Port Villa at, at the time when the Indigenous Australian men's and, and women's sides were touring. So I guess that was invaluable in, in terms of being able to get amongst the squads and, and be able to, to have a look at the talent on show and, and um, have a look at how things are being put together at the moment. Obviously, Jamal and, and, and Ronnie have been doing a fantastic job in uh, driving, especially the men's team at this stage, um, through the period of, of uh, being without a coach and, and without other leaders. Um, but yeah, it, no doubt it's it's going to be a challenge for us, but it's a, it's a really exciting one. And obviously one that's really presented itself for the first time to, to be this close to having a crack at, at a World Cup berth for Vanuatu cricket. And I suspect you're going to come across one or two unusual situations in Vanuatu. A number of players were not involved in that series against the touring Indigenous Australians that you mentioned because they were in Queensland picking fruit. I mean, that doesn't happen in the Australian world of cricket, does it? No, that's right. Um, that's right. But, I mean, that was probably a part of, you know, again, where I would say that I've, I've had some expertise or um, can offer some experience in, in terms of that is, you know, understanding and and you know, driving a program that allows an understanding of what takes place away from cricket as well. Um, so, you know, that that's something that I'm really looking forward to working with Tim and the board in, in terms of how we'll develop, I guess, seasonal work and, and fruit picking going forward. How, I guess, we get the best out of it for the athletes and, and obviously for ourselves as well, whilst acknowledging that it is real life. It, it is something that, that exists and um, rather than, you know, butt heads with it, how can we see it as an opportunity? So that's something I'm really excited to be working in with. And, and, and obviously, in terms of the playing group, the four boys who are up there 
at the moment have been working extremely hard and will be engaged in terms of the same instruction and, and, and the same training program as, as the group over in Port Villa is as well. So hopefully we're able to ingrain what we've got happening over in Port Villa up in Queensland and then we'll have the entire group back for just over a week prior to flying out. So it'll be good to have the whole group together at Chris Laffin there, Cricket Vanuatu's new national head coach and high-performance manager, and he was talking to Richard Hewitt. That brings us to the end of Pacific Beat. We'll be back at the same time on Monday morning. That's 6 a.m. PNG time. You can also hear us again this afternoon at 3 p.m. PNG time. Stay tuned because the news is next. Have a fantastic sporting weekend. I'm Kyle Evans. It's been great chatting with you.